Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And it sounds like we're in the middle of a rock and roll atmosphere right now, but that's not true. We're actually at a um, grocery store slash eatery called Italy, which I guess is a chain, you tell me. It is. My mouth is full right now. Sorry. Um, <laughs> we're doing our taste episode today, by the way, in case you were wondering. If you've been following us recently, we've been doing a series on the five senses on today's taste. So we've come to the right place. Yeah. So what is your mouth full of right now? It's full of an amazing thing called ma- mozzarella in carrozza, which is basically two pieces of bread with mozzarella cheese between them, breaded and deep fried. Yes, and that's one surprising thing about Italy that I wasn't expecting when I think of Italian food. I don't think of there being so many fried things. But turns out... Mm, you got to try, you gotta try this. Okay. I, I will hold this for a second. So yes, Italy. I still have my mouth full, by the way. Oh, okay. Mm. Oh, mm. What do you think? And there's nothing worse than hearing people eat <laughs> on the radio. <laughs> I apologize. But we're making... We're making this faux pas for you because we want to bring some of the tastes of Rome to you. Well, that kind of tastes a little bit like a mozzarella stick. You might find it at Denny's or Perkins. Ouch. Maybe better, more gourmet, but it does have that flavor to it. Well, I mean, mozzarella is what it is. I mean, it's fried mozzarella tastes like fried mozzarella. (laughs) But I mean, it's really good mozzarella. I guess that's the difference. Mm -hmm. Very, very good. So it was tricky to, to know what to do when we're coming to taste. And I promise I will not eat this entire thing. We're like, we probably should have started taping while you're like, oh, it's hot and delicious. But how do you talk about taste and how taste changes based on where you are in the world? It's kind of an interesting question. One thing that surprised me also beyond just fried foods and how many there are in Italy. Uh, and I'm not talking just French fries. Tell, maybe just tell us some of the other fried things. Well, right now we're having, as I said, mozzarella and carrozza. We're also having a type of meatball, which is not made of meat, but it's made of vegetables in this case. It's, I believe, potatoes and broccoli, which doesn't sound that great, but I have a feeling it's going to be really good. And what's a supli? Because that's the go-to fried food here. Yes, that's classic Roman fried food. Supli is a ball of rice with a little bit of mozzarella inside and tomato sauce. It might have little tiny bits of meat in it, or it might not. And then it's breaded, of course, and deep fried. If it's done well, it is unbelievable. There's a shop about halfway between my apartment and Katie's apartment that sells supposedly the best in Rome. Unfortunately for me, they have meat in them, so I've never had one. But I hear from everyone else that they are the best. Another famous fried food in Rome, and probably beyond, is fiori di zucca. I don't know if you've ever seen a Roman-style zucchini. They're a little bit smaller than regular zucchinis, and they have a blossom on the end. It's about three or four inches long, and that blossom is removed. There's a bit of mozzarella put inside and a little anchovy. It's breaded and deep-fried, so that's another classic, fiori di zucca. And, of course, there's another famous one that's not from Rome. It's from a city called Ascoli Picena, I think. And it's called Oliveos Ascolane, and that is a green olive stuffed with sausage, deep fried. So that's another one. Those are just some. There's many, many more. Hmm. 
That's so interesting. Well, what I was saying is that beyond the sheer amount of fried things that there are here that have nothing to do with American fried food, like French fries, which is French, I guess, but American Belgian, too. actually. Oh, there you go. But it's also a very sweet-oriented culture. And I don't know if you have noticed that, but when it really got highlighted to me was during the Christmas season, there are all these booths in Piazza Navona where they're selling candy. We were in the mood for candy. We hadn't had any real candy for a really long time. And they had all these things that looked like they would be sour. And all of it was sweet. Sickly, sickly sweet. And it does seem to me that sweet is a flavor here more than sour. Can you imagine finding something like a Sour Patch Kid or uh, a lemon head here? You're right. I think, that you, I think sour is not very big here. And I'll tell you something else that's not done here is the combination of sweet and savory, which is a big thing in the States, I think, becoming more so, especially with amazing chocolates like Franz salt caramels that I think you or some of our mutual friends got me hooked on. That kind of a thing here is seen as being almost blasphemous. You don't mix salt with sugar. They don't go together. Whereas I think <laughs> it makes it even better. But I wouldn't really say that this is a super sweet-based culture. Well, not in their general food. For instance, this little dumpling thing that you're eating right now looks like it would be a very savory flavor. But when it comes to their desserts, with the exception maybe of tiramisu, which is a little bit bitter, most of the desserts are going toward very, very, very sweet. Well, it also really depends on what part of the country you're in. If you go to Sicily, that is where the sugar is really used. And the sweets that you can get in Sicily, like cassata, if you've ever had cassata, it's about the sugariest thing you could possibly eat, or cannoli, or little marzipan figures. I don't know if you've ever seen them in shops. They're like made to look like fruit, but they're actually made of marzipan, which is 90% sugar or something. Everything in Sicily is excessively sweet. I feel like the desserts in, in Rome are much simpler. I feel like you get a cake, like my mother-in-law will make cake, subtle lemon-flavored cake, just like a white cake with nothing on it. She won't put any frosting on it at all. And you'll see an Italian eat cake and they'll take the frosting off because it's too sugary for them. So actually, I kind of disagree. Maybe it's just when it comes to candy. I guess what raised questions in my head was, where do these things come from? Obviously, some of it's just what my taste buds are and what they ally toward. Most people who know me know that I like really salty things and I like very sour things when it comes to candy. But I'm not going to be a person who's going to enjoy licorice or jujubes or jelly beans because they're too sweet. And I'm going to go toward popcorn over having a piece of cake. I'd rather skip dessert and go to the movies to eat the popcorn. But it makes me wonder how these things in different cultures get started. Why would the, most of the candy, like the jelly type candies here, be sweet? Or why would America have a huge selection of sour products? I don't know the answer to that. I'm sure it must partly have to do with what's available. But now that we live in a global culture, first and second world countries, nearly everything's available. Yeah, things are still available, but there's still hundreds and hundreds of years of history there. Even if you can get salted caramels, which by the way, you can't get in Italy, at least I haven't found them yet. Please send them, <laughs> please. But if you could, most people would probably not go for it because they're not used to it and their taste buds like yours are set in their ways and that's not what they like. Taste buds, I think, have, I don't know how to say this, but taste buds change. How else can you explain 
a two-year-old child in India who can eat incredibly spicy food with no problem and someone from the middle of England who's no offense to English cuisine but has only really been used to very bland food and wouldn't be able to handle spicy food. So I think your taste buds kind of adapt to your, your surroundings. To how you're raised. So given that fact, or that supposed fact anyway, <laughs> what I would you say? <laughs> what was that? What I say is fact. How dare you doubt me <laughs> with my mouth full. Uh, is that good? Is that any good? That's good. You got to try that. I was wrong. It's not broccoli. It's, it's a little more like spinach. Fair enough. Spinach, broccoli, they're all good and green, right? They're all good for you, even when they're deep fried. So what I was going to say was, you were raised on American cuisine. So is there anything about the cuisine that you encounter abroad, your taste buds or your preferences that you just can't satisfy living in Italy or traveling abroad otherwise? Taste, and now, and now she just took a huge bite. Should I, should I just keep talking for a second? No, answer the question yourself since you've been here less time than I have. Well, (laughs) that's a hard one. That's a very hard one. Let me think about that for a second. I would say that definitely the salt and the sweet thing. I didn't realize how much I liked it until it wasn't available. I remember the first time I ever came across this phenomenon of mixing salt with sweet being an odd thing. And it was when I was about 14, 13 or 14, and we had a foreign exchange student. We prepared a little snack for ourselves one afternoon, and it was a chocolate pudding and tortilla chips. And we were sitting in front of the television, and I was, of course, eating a tortilla chip and then taking a bite of chocolate pudding and eating a tortilla chip and taking a bite of chocolate pudding. And she hadn't opened her pudding. And she looked at me and she said, how can you eat salt and sugar together? That's disgusting. And I thought, Every, each one makes the other better. When I'm eating the salt, that makes the chocolate taste better after, and vice versa. Do you think that comes from growing up with things like peanut butter cups? Oh, for sure. In America, we're used to combining ingredients that probably weren't meant to go together. Chocolate and peanut butter? First of all, I think chocolate and peanut butter is probably the best invention that has ever been created. (laughs) But I do have to say I kind of roll my eyes when I look over menus in the States and I see... Pasta with mushrooms, chicken, sausage, peas, broccoli, and peppers. How many ingredients do you really need to make it good? That's a big difference between American cuisine and Italian cuisine. In Italy, you have very few things in a dish of pasta, but everything is good. All the ingredients are very fresh and seasonal, and so their flavors are very strong. And you don't need 20 different ingredients to make it good. In that sense... I think my tastes have shifted and I prefer more simple foods, foods that have fewer ingredients. That's interesting. Have you noticed that at all since you've been here? Well, I have noticed that if you order a, a pasta, it's going to come with bacon in it, and that's it. <laughs> if you order tomato sauce or cacio e pepe, where it's going to come with melted cheese on it and pepper, and that's it. Yep. And it's good. And I was a person who wouldn't be above making something that might look like a stir-fry, but then covering it in pasta sauce and throwing it on (laughs) spaghetti back home. And I would put broccoli in pasta sauce, which people tell me I should never do, but it's not bad. It's not bad. I actually love broccoli in any form, but I would never put two types of meat, two different types of meat in the same pasta dish. Sausage and chicken 
I don't think actually Italians ever put chicken on pasta. I've never, ever seen it. So the next time you're at the Olive Garden and they offer you pasta with chicken. Chicken Alfredo? Yes, something that doesn't exist here. So if you had to say that uh, Italy has one taste, what would you say its, its characteristic flavor is? You know how you think of Korea and you think of kimchi, a basic taste that is Korea. Can you describe for your listeners and for myself, my ignorant self, what kimchi is? Uh, I believe, well, I don't know how to make it, but I believe it's a shredded cabbage of some kind and it's very hot and spicy, maybe slightly fish flavored, depending on how it's made. A lot of garlic in it. Very spicy, very spicy. It can be incredibly hot. I love it personally, but it's not for everybody. Or I would say that having traveled in Vietnam a lot of times, Vietnamese cuisine in Vietnam, of course, is very different than the Vietnamese cuisine in America. And its predominant flavor, I would say, is fish flavor, because they use fish sauce in nearly everything. And their food is not very salty. So as a person who travels to Vietnam who desperately craves salt, the only thing I can find that has enough salt on it for my personal taste are Pringles chips. And I will just lick them, put them back in the jar just to bring it up. (laughs) I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) But remind me never to eat Pringles with you. No, no, yeah, it's disgusting. But I would say that's a predominant taste for that region. So is there something like that for Italy? I don't know if there's something that specific, but I would say... Pizza is got to be up there. Pizza is popular worldwide, so it's almost not considered Italian anymore. What is the dominant flavor of pizza? Oh, tomato. Tomato, I would say. I would say if there's, a, if there's one vegetable which represents Italy, it has to be the tomato. Every single Italian family, practically, when they sit down to dinner, they're probably going to have a second course, which could be anything could be pork, it could be chicken, it could be steak, but they're probably going to have pasta with tomato sauce beforehand. I mean, my mother-in-law, she always makes pasta with every meal. Really simple tomato sauce, really simple but really delicious, just olive oil, jarred tomato sauce, not the tomato sauce that you would buy by, you know, ragu, but actually just the tomatoes, uh, basil and garlic. That's it. That's the only thing in it. And it's really good. She sometimes might add a little bit of melted mozzarella just at the very end but they eat that almost every night so i would say tomato is the number one vegetable or pasta with tomato sauce or even flavor what would you say the dominant and maybe there isn't one maybe this is the genius of america is there a dominant flavor that you would consider american salt (laughs) thank goodness for that no that's that could be true that's not a bad that's not a bad guess i think america Sorry, I have my mouth full again. I think America uses a lot of salt. Maybe too much salt. And I think it can make you not taste the flavors anymore. Salt is weird. It'll bring out the flavors up to a certain point, and then it'll cover them. So maybe that's why they add so many ingredients. I don't know. Maybe hamburgers? See, that's the first thing that popped into my head, too. Which is odd, because... What is it about a hamburger that's American, with the exception of all the convenience food we have where a hamburger is available? I think that's it. No matter how amazing a hamburger can be, and I don't eat meat, but I eat veggie burgers and I eat 
I know that they're good, and I'm sure that uh, hamburgers can be amazing if you make them right. But what everyone associates with hamburgers at this point, unfortunately, is fast food. And that's so much part of the American culture, unfortunately, is fast food, that that's got to be like the first thing that you think of. I would say either that or the classic American Thanksgiving dinner, the turkey dinner. But again, how much is Thanksgiving dinner known in the rest of the world? So it probably is the hamburger that they think of, right? I would say, yeah. I would say if you asked an an Italian, what is the typical American dish, they would say hamburgers. My father-in-law thinks that. I I have to say, three weeks in America, I think that he had a hamburger every day. (laughs) I have a question for you. Because you've been here less time than me, so obviously your first impressions are fresher than mine. What is the thing that really surprised you about true Italian cuisine? Not what you might have kind of gotten used to in the States as... American-style Italian cuisine, true Italian cuisine. What surprised you about it? Actually, even though you just said the thing about the tomatoes, I was surprised at how many of their traditional sauces, at least in the Rome area, have nothing to do with tomatoes. That's true. More to do with different flavors of cheese and different types of cured meat. That's, that's true. I think also what a lot of people don't realize is that Italian cuisine is very specific to the region. There isn't really one overreaching cuisine for the whole country, except that most parts of the country, they do eat pasta. But what goes on that pasta is going to be very different from region to region. And if you are in Sicily, that's just my favorite type of Italian cuisine, is Sicilian cuisine, you're going to have a lot of fish, really fresh vegetables, particularly tomatoes and olives and capers. And if you're up in the north, if you're in the Emilia-Romagna region, famous for meat, I mean, if you think about bolognese sauce, it's meat sauce, that's where it comes from. So you're going to get a lot of food with beef and pork. And if you're in Rome, the traditional cuisine of Rome is very meat-based. So you can find vegetarian dishes on the Roman traditional list of dishes. Otherwise, I would be screwed. But because Rome was a very poor area traditionally, specifically in the last few hundred years until after the war, people would use the entire animal. If they got an animal, they would use every single part of it. And that's why Rome is so known for offal, using offal in their cuisine, which is the innards of an animal. Some of the stuff really, as a vegetarian, honestly makes my skin crawl. But one of the things that they eat, and it's actually considered a delicacy, is something called payata. The intestines of a suckling lamb with basically the half-digested milk from its mother inside the intestine still. Which, I know, I mean, no, but you tell Italians this and they're like, oh my God, it's so amazing, it's so good. And so that's just one thing. I mean, there's oxtail stew, there's ossobuco, which is basically bone marrow, tripe, either esophagus or stomach, I'm not sure. They do this a lot. And so Italian cuisine is very based on these parts of the animal and the traditional dishes utilize these parts of the animal and it's actually they call it the quinto quarto which literally means the fifth quarter of the animal the quarter that ordinarily would have been thrown away but that instead they would use i think another thing that surprised me maybe particularly coming from the west coast where right now eating local is a really big deal you know people are trying to go to farmers markets and buy their produce from there, trying to buy things that are from the region they live in, stuff that's less than 50 miles away from your house. 
that sort of thing. So that drives you to certain supermarkets and it drives you to specialty food stores, whereas the majority of the grocery stores do not specialize in local food. They're going to specialize in letting everything be available. One of the things that surprised me about here, I just go to uh, the grocery store called the Conad, which doesn't seem to me to be the most upscale grocery store in the world. But nearly everything that they have there is from Italy. Yeah, that's true. It's very important to them, to Italians, that their food is local. So it's not considered fancy to have local ingredients. It's considered normal. Why would you, why would you get your food from far away if they have it right next to you? It doesn't make sense, really. Well, and part of the benefit is that Italy has the climate that can grow all these things. Not everything, obviously. I don't think that they can grow ananas. I can't think of the word in English. Pineapples. Pineapple. There you go. I don't think they grow pineapple. But, you know, there's obviously a few exceptions of things that just don't grow here. But, but yeah, all the main things. And the really interesting thing about the supermarkets in Italy, there are a few exceptions to this. But pretty much, you are not going to find vegetables outside of season. If you want asparagus in the middle of the winter... That's just too bad. You're not going to find it. It's an interesting discipline. So many things that we make a big deal about in the United States are just how it is. Recently, Seattle banned plastic bags that you have to bring your own grocery bags. Otherwise, they charge you a fine. I think they charge you five cents or something if you need a bag from the grocery store. All across Italy, that's what they do. And everybody brings their bags and it's not a big deal. And they charge you three times as much if you need a bag at the grocery store. So coming from a place where all these things are so slow to adapt, it was just so nice to have it just be, this is the way it is. Generally, Italy is kind of like the last to pick up on this sort of environmental thing. So it's actually surprising. Not only do you get charged if you need a bag, but there's no plastic bags anymore. They're all made of potato skin or something. They're all compostable. It's such not a big deal. And in, in Italy, everyone's just like, whatever. It's a bag. The opposite is also true. Italians make a huge stink about recycling, and they don't like to do it. And a lot of them refuse, even though now it's the law. I don't think Italy is ahead of America on the environmental level. I think maybe as far as eating, it's not necessarily that they're trying to protect their environment. Unfortunately, I wish that was the case. They know that this is going to taste better. If your tomatoes are grown on the vine underneath the sun instead of in a hot house and picked before they're ripe they're going to taste better period and that's what they go for they go for taste taste is so important to italians well we should leave it there because our little um, dumpling thing's getting cold and <laughs> tiffany already ate the extra mozzarella stick thing so sorry i stole it while you were <laughs> while you were recording <laughs> all right uh this is the bittersweet life i'm kitty sewell i'm tiffany parks and if you decide you need to come to rome to taste all these things that we've been talking about. Don't forget that Tiffany gives tours, so look her up when you're here. And bring friends chocolates. <laughs> yes, with the salt on top. See you next time. We welcome your questions and your feedback. Reach the show by emailing bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com.